Well, good morning. As Matt said, my name is Matt Zielich, and I'm the Student Life Pastor. Um, and I'm really excited to be a part of this series, The, the Art of Neighboring, and kind of contribute some thoughts today. Uh, when I even think about that title, The Art of Neighboring, um, I realize, like, anytime I draw something, I have to, like, cushion it and explain, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not an artist. To anybody, like, uh, that looks terrible. Um, and maybe you do that, like, when you try to draw something, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just not an artist. And, uh, and I think when we say that, we imply, like, well, there are artists and there are, there are people who are not artists, and you just have to figure out who's who. Um, and I've been reading a book uh, called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, and he, he makes the point, um, it's his argument through the book, that, that not innate talent, but an investment of time is the contributing factor to success in anything, whether it's business, whether it's athletics, or maybe even art. And so uh, that's what we want to do through this series is we just want to work on our craft. We want to um, take time to, to get good at the art of neighboring, to neighbor well, to live with other people well. Um, it's funny because I, I went back and, and I watched um, the teaching from last week, and, and Matt asked a question, um, and, and he allowed everybody to take some time to kind of uh, process through it a little bit. And, and the question was, like, do you remember a neighbor from when you were younger? Like, what was that memory, whether it was good or bad? And as I listened to that, like, I thought for myself instantly, like, these memories that I had of my neighbors when I was a kid. When I was in elementary school, we had this, um, this, this uh, older woman, and she was retired, and she had been widowed, and her name was Mickey. And as a kid, I thought, like, that was so funny because that made me think of, like, Mickey Mouse, but she was so sweet. And she allowed us, like, if we ever wanted to play, we were allowed to play, like, in her yard. And if a ball went over the fence, we could hop it and go get it. And sometimes she would, like, buy this, like, this jumbo chalk. And we were, we were allowed to, like, draw pictures on the driveway. And she was so sweet. And, like, once a month, she would come to our house, and she would, like, bring these peanut butter cookies. And, like, peanut butter cookies are my absolute favorite type of cookie. You can just remember that if you ever want to make me peanut butter cookies. And... And she would come, and, and it was so good. So anytime, like, the doorbell would ring, my sister and I, we would, like, sprint. We would race to be the first person to open the door and say, hey, Mickey, and just greet her, and, and we were so excited. Now, fast forward, like, 20 years later, I think that the sound of the doorbell stirs up a different emotion a little bit. Like, literally, I, I'm not kidding you, just yesterday, um, my wife, uh, Leah, was sitting in the living room, and I was in the kitchen, like, doing the dishes, and, and I'm working on it, and I hear the sound of our doorbell, and it's just like, ding. And, and I'm kind of like. And, and, I look at, and I look at my wife, Leah, and she's like. Who is it? And I'm like, I don't know, I think it's a murderer. She said, well, go answer it. So I, like, I creep to the door, and I, and I grab the, the doorknob, and I, and I do one of these things just to be safe. And I open it up, and I look around. Oh, Amazon, yes! <laughs> Babe, it's just Amazon. I thought it was a person. Oh. I realized like, things have changed. Things, things have changed quite a bit. Our culture has shifted. Um, and the way that we neighbor with people around us. And, and here's, the, here's the reality that we're talking about through this series. There's two postures that we can take um, with the cultural shift. We can be passive, 
we can just drift along with wherever it goes and just be a part of it, and who knows where we'll end up, but we'll be there with everybody else. Or we, or we can be active. We can be, um, we can be a part of, of something else, that we can contribute to a different type of reality. Um, and spoiler alert, if, if you're someone that wants to follow Jesus, I, I can absolutely assure you that our role is to be active, is to be involved, is to take um, this idea seriously. So I'm excited to talk about that. Before we can go forward, I'll, I'll admit, like what I want to talk about today cannot stand on its own two feet. It's kind of like if you're building a house, first you have to lay the foundation before you can put up the walls. So we want to build some walls today, but we have to like remember the foundation. And so if you weren't here last week, or if you were and you just have a hard time remembering, um, we just want to recap real quick two things that, that Matt talked about to open up the series, because that's like the whole foundation of what we're going to be talking about. Um, Jesus was challenged and, uh, by, by lots of people at his time, and, and one particular time he was challenged with um, this question, how, how, do, how does one inherit eternal life? Or another, another way that could be read or interpreted is, is, how can I be a part of the world to come, both here, now, and forever after? And Jesus asked the question, well, how do you read the law? How do you read um, scripture? And the response back was, we well, gotta love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus actually affirms this. He says, yes, go, if you do this, go, you will live. Um, and, and one of the things I've come to realize when we look at that passage by itself is that it's this idea of loving God and loving our neighbor are, are basically the two pillars that hold up our faith. Two pillars, love God, love your neighbor. That is where we rest if we want to inherit the world to come, if we want to be a part of God's kingdom. Absolutely fundamental. They're both sitting there. So if we take one away, our whole faith will crumble in on itself. And a lot of times in church we talk about, yeah, you got to love God. We talk about how that's done. We did sacred rhythms, and I think that's really helpful. But we also have to devote some time to talking about how do we love the people around us. Um, Matt had this quote last week, and I actually want to throw it up behind me because um, I think it's so powerful, and it kind of creates like, um, like the, the structure of, of how we're going to move forward. He said this, the distinguishing mark of a follower of Jesus is the love we have in practical expressions to those that are right next to us. And so he, we, we gave out these, these magnets, and maybe, maybe you have yours sitting on your refrigerator, and that's awesome. And, and the, the whole concept was, in practical expressions, we can't truly love people if we don't know who they are. So we need to, to write down their name. We need to know them. Um, and that's kind of the first step. So, so maybe you went out last week and you did that. You tried to write some names down, some of the people that you know. Um, you know, I, I wrote down a couple of my neighbors that I've talked to. There's one place across the street that's like under construction. So I counted that. Like I don't, I think that's cheating, but I'm like, hey, you know, there'll, there'll, one day there'll be someone there. Um, and it's funny because like I, I went out and I saw somebody not too long ago and I was like, I really want to, like, learn their names. And so uh, I was so focused on, like, learning their name. Like, I, I forgot it after he said it, like, 10 seconds later. And I was like, oh, no, what do I do? And I remembered he was a realtor, so I just wrote down Realtor Bob on my, on my thing. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'll get back to it. But I, I, it's, it's difficult sometimes. And so maybe you struggle with that. Like, I, I don't know their names. And, you know, be patient with it. But, but keep moving forward and keep um, working toward that goal. It's so, so valuable. We need to know the names of the people around us. Um, and, and I believe that if we're actually going to move forward today, if we're actually going to make any progress, 
we have to be open to this idea that faith um, is not valuable because it reflects the right belief, but because it inspires the right practice. That's when our faith actually has some weight. It actually moves us forward. It actually brings in God's kingdom. So we want to be very practical, and we want to start with loving the people that are right next door to us, the people that we live beside. So you can believe, like, all the people that are around you in your life are just here because um, it's just, just happenstance. Or you can choose to believe that the people that are surrounded by you are people that God intentionally placed you beside because there's purpose and there's value to be a light to our actual neighbors. And that's what we're talking about. So last week's text that we read ended with a question. And that question is, well, who is my neighbor? And that's where we're going to move forward today. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to go um, to the book of Luke, and you can jump to chapter 10, and uh, that'll also be on the screen behind me here. But I want to read how Jesus responds to that question, who is my neighbor? Um, and let's just, let's just take a moment and pray before we jump into the scripture. God, I thank you for uh, just this opportunity to um, approach your word, and we do so humbly and respectfully, and we have a desire for it to transform our lives, to reshape our perspectives. And so, God, we, we are open. We are open to your spirit leading us. Um, we want to see your truth. We want to hear your truth, um, that it may, it may change us into the people, the followers of your son that we desire to be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, this first passage Verse 30 starts with this. Jesus replied with a story. Now, I think this is very interesting because if you've read any of the New Testament um, or even if you've read through this story, the question, who is my neighbor, could basically be answered very simply. Well, it's, it's everyone. It's everyone around you. It's not just the people who live next door to you. It is them, but it's just kind of everybody. But Jesus doesn't give like a straight answer. Um, instead, he decides to respond with a story. Um, and, and why is that? What, what is the reason that he does this? Well, I see it as I read through this passage, there's an opportunity to be had here for Jesus to actually address something deeper. Um, in 1954, there was a man named Roger Bannister. And uh, he was an English track athlete, um, participated in the Olympics, and uh, he set out to accomplish a goal, to break the four-minute mile barrier. Uh, people had come close before, uh, and basically the closest was around like four minutes, three seconds, four minutes, two seconds. Um, and, he, and he was determined. Roger was determined to break that four-minute barrier. Um, so he kind of went into training. He worked toward that goal. Um, he invested himself into it. And... For all, all this time, it was thought to be impossible. People would even say, experts um, in the field would say, it can't be done. The human body is not capable of breaking the four-minute barrier. And in fact, the four-minute barrier was like rounding down from the best scores that were there before. So, so it was just thought like this task, this, this feat is, is impossible. No one can actually accomplish this. So, so Roger goes out and, and he trains really hard. 
And, and there's this particular day on, on May 6th that he decides, I'm going to go for it. It was really windy that day. He was second-guessing himself, should I really, is this the opportunity? But then the winds died down, and he said, okay, I'm going to go for it. Like, I'm going to try to run this mile in under four minutes. So the race starts, and there's a couple people ahead of him that are kind of setting the pace. And as he rounds the third lap, the time was 3.01, which means that if he's actually going to accomplish this goal, he has to run the last lap in under 59 seconds. So he rounds that corner, and he just is giving it everything that he's got. He's running as hard as he can. And he finally crosses the finish line, and, and everyone that was in attendance just kind of stops, and, and they pause for a moment, and they're, they're trying to, to determine, like, is, was he successful? And so the announcer tries to build the suspense a little bit, and he delays the announcement. And finally, he gives the official scores, the official times of all the runners. And he announces Roger Bannister's name. And right after that, he says, Roger Bannister ran the mile in three. And the second he said three, the crowd erupted. They, I mean, it, a deafening sound just swarmed the place. So much so that, that people didn't even hear the official time, which was three minutes, 59 0.6 seconds. He had just barely, barely broke the four-minute mile barrier. Now, that's impressive. But what I find really interesting is that this thing that was thought impossible, this goal that, that was out there and it felt elusive, felt like you just couldn't actually grab it, um, this record that stood for all of recorded human history, was actually broken 46 days later. The record stood for only 46 days. 46 days later, a man named John Landry ran the mile in three minutes and 58 seconds. Now, here's why that's significant. You can choose to believe that by some sheer coincidence, the two fastest mile runners in all of human history just so happened to be born at the same time, to be racing in the same time period, that they both accomplished this goal? Or is it that when Roger Bannister broke the four-minute barrier and the story got out, it changed people's belief on what was possible? That when the story spread, everyone questioned the, the limitations that they had. And in fact, they began to realize that there was potential within them that was untapped. And it was resting there, waiting to be awoken. That's the power of a story. A story, when it's told well, changes our idea of what's possible. It, it gives us a vision of a new reality. And so, Jesus responds with a story. A Jewish man who was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Um, there was a Jewish man who was traveling from Jew Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, for any of you that like, know the parable of the Good Samaritan or you know some of Jesus' parables, you know like a parable by its structure it has a lot of metaphor. It's not like someone just wrote down and saw this thing happening. He's trying to... Um, communicate, you know, in a broader sense. And um, I think a lot of times when we, when we think of it exclusively in that way, we feel like, oh, these stories are so dramatic, they're not really practical. But that's not true of the first century. In fact, um, this story that he's telling 
is something that's very common, happens all the time. Um, that when you travel from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's an 18-mile road, and you start at Jerusalem, which is about 2,500 feet above sea level, down to Jericho, which is about 850 feet below sea level. As a traveler, you're, you're extremely tired. You're weary. And because of that, there were bandits. There were um, people that would kind of post up and take advantage of these travelers. So it happened all the time. It's Jesus telling a story that makes a real-life connection to his audience. And then it goes on like this. He says, by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now, it's at this point in the story that, like, the tone completely shifts. If you're not aware of this, like, there is this tense hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans, people that did not get along. So for Jesus to reference this in the story, all of a sudden it becomes about breaking down racial, religious, and political barriers, in fact, I, I believe that if, if Jesus were to tell this story today, depending on the person he's talking to, depending on the prejudice of his audience, you could fill in the blank with a number of different things. A man was beaten down, and then a despised Hillary supporter came along, <laughs> or a despised Trump supporter, or a despised Muslim came along, despised atheist a despised illegal alien came along. A despised Black Lives Matter advocate came along. Whatever the prejudice is, that's who Jesus would fill the blank in in this story. And so it's supposed to make like a connection. That's, it gets tense at this, at this part in the story. And I've come to realize like if, if we have prejudice, if that, if that rests within us, truthfully, like, we always feel justified in that prejudice. We have our reasons. And I can even see, like, responding to Jesus in a certain way, well, yeah, yeah, Jesus, but, but you just don't get it. Like, they're all uneducated rednecks, right? Like, or, oh, Jesus, you just don't understand. Like, they're all baby killers. Like, that's why I have this prejudice. We justify this prejudice. Jesus, no, 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 you, ju you just don't understand. They're, they're all terrorists, no, Jesus, you, you just don't get it. Like, they're all bring, they're bringing in drugs and crime. We have these ways. We take this posture of justifying our prejudice. When we do that, the story, by its very nature, challenges us and says, well, are you, though, the person who just passes by on the other side? It goes on like this. Going over to him, Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. I want to pause right there and just say I'm so grateful for the advancements in medicine <laughs> as I read that story. Like, could you imagine if you had, like, a wound and, like, oh, man, I'm really hurt. Well, let's put some wine and some olive oil, maybe shred some garlic in there, a little bit of parsley. <laughs> Why don't you just go rest in that boiling cauldron I've got inside? He says he soothed his wounds, and then it continues like this. Um, then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, 
where he took care of him. The next day, he was handed, uh, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take, uh, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you for the next time I'm here. And then verse 36, it goes on like this. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. When the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. If we look at the two pillars of our faith, that we have to love God and we have to love our neighbor as ourselves, the tension in this story for his audience is to, is to see like, okay, is it possible that if this person who I think has the wrong beliefs, the wrong traditions, the wrong background, I don't agree with their lifestyle, I don't agree with what they're doing, yet if they're being a neighbor to the people around them, if they're taking care of them, aren't they a little bit closer to the kingdom than you are? I mean, that's the tension in the story. That is the severity that Jesus brings to it. So here's, here's what I think we need to do as we, as we move through this story, the two things that we need to take away in a practical sense um, are these two things. If our goal is to love our neighbor, um, the first thing is this. We need to observe our neighbor's needs. That's the, that's the first thing in the story. We need to observe our neighbor's needs. Even, even the first two that passed by still saw that the man needed help. So observation, taking a look, observe our neighbor's needs. And then the second one is we need to assist the needs that we see. We can't just pass by. That's the whole point of the story. Now, if you're like me and you read this, the first thing you think is like, okay, got it. Like, if I'm out in public and I see a man get beat down to an inch of his life, that's when I'm going I'm to step in and help him out. I got it. I can do that. Well, yeah, you should do that. You should help those people out too. But what I'm saying is, like, there's a different connection for our own life. We need to identify what are the needs that are around us, and how can we meet them? Um, when I was uh, at a high school, so uh, finishing high school and then my college years, I had to get a job, and there was just, you know, limitations with what I could do, um, but, I, but my buddy was like a mover, and so he's like, oh, come be a mover with me, work at like two men in a truck, so that's what I did. I decided I'm going to go work at two men in a truck, and uh, that job was terrible. I like really hated that job. Uh, difficult challenging, exhausting, um, and I kind of like retired from that. I was like, I'm, I'm done with this forever. Um, but, but when my wife and I lived in Kentucky, like we worked, we worked at a church, and like it was a little bit of an older congregation, so sometimes like we'd see young, younger people come in, and like you got to go like talk to them, like, oh my gosh, one of us. So we went out, we, there was this younger couple, and we're like, let's go make friends, and we're talking to them, and we ask, like, oh, how, well, you know, where do you live? How long have you lived here? And they said, well, we're actually just moving here. We're, we're visiting the church, but we're, we're at an apartment or at a hotel now, and we're going we're gonna to move in. And, um, and so my, my wife is so sweet, and she's like, oh, what, like, are you guys getting movers? I'm like, oh, no, 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 we're just going to move ourselves. And, and, and my wife is such a good person. She's a better person than I am. But she said, she's like, oh, well, Matt. And right when I heard that, I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> So, like, I try to, like, I try to maneuver out and do, like, you can't run. I can't just run away. So I try to do, like, the Olympic speed walk where you're doing, like, this thing as fast as you can. And, and I couldn't get away. She's like, oh, no, Matt, come here, come here. And I'm like, okay, okay. She's like, well, Matt, can, he was a mover. He, he, can, he can help you move. And I was like, in this moment, 
I was like a beautiful mind trying to calculate like an excuse out of this. I did not want to help. I don't, I don't want to do that. And I couldn't think of anything, so I ended up having to help them move, and, and it ended up being good. There was a need, and, and, and it just needed to be met. Um, there's, there's another passage in, in 1 John chapter 4. You won't see it behind here, um, but if you ever want to go there, you should take a look. It says this. I'll summarize it for you. It says, if you say that you love God, but you, you don't love or you hate your brothers or your sisters, your neighbors, the people around you, it says this, then you're a liar. Like, if you say you love God, but you don't love the people around you, you're a liar. In a way, it's like what he's saying is the way, like the prerequisite to loving God is loving our neighbor, is loving the people around us. That is how we love God in a way. So important for us to work through. Now, I've realized, like, I've had these expectations in my life. Like, when I became a Christian, I wanted to read Scripture. That was, like, so important to me. So what I do is, like, I read through the New Testament. And when I got to the story of Acts, like, I got to, to Paul, his conversion, and then, and then he started preaching the gospel, and by the thousands, people were coming in. And, and when I became a Christian, I felt like, that's what I'm going to do. Like, that's my responsibility. I'll go out, and I'll preach the gospel, and everyone's lives are going to be changed. And it's created this this um, almost like this idea in my head that to live out my faith in a practical way for those around me is going to look something like this one day. Like I'm just out walking and then some woman I've never seen before comes up and she's in a panic and she's like, can someone help me? Can someone help me? My dog is dying. I need them to help. And then she rushes over to me and she's like, can you help? And I say, well, yes, ma'am, because I'm a Christian. And I go over there and I like, and I say, stand back. And I say, in the name of Jesus, rise again. And the dog rises to life and licks my face, and everyone's so happy. And she's like, how did you do this? And I said, through the name of Jesus, I could do this. And then I kind of end with like a Justin Bieber album pose. And everyone's lives are like, oh, you got to come to Christ. I I over-spiritualized this in my mind of like, that's how it's supposed to look. Here's the truth, and I'll just be honest with you, confession. Like, here's how I've seen my faith play out in practical actions to the people around me. Ready? That's it. I give like the smile. Like I, I'm like, I'm a Christian. Hey, trying to be polite. Like, and that's it. Don't talk to me, please. And so I, I've realized like I need to be so much more intentional to observe the needs around me, to go around um, and to be active in that process. So here's where we'll finish up. These two steps to observe and to assist. Let's get very simple, real practical. If you feel like you have a hard time finding the needs of the people around you, step one, just go for a walk this week. Just go, just go for a walk around your neighborhood and just, just take a look. Just try to observe the needs around you. You cannot observe a need from your house unless you have binoculars, and that's really creepy. Don't do that. <laughs> You have to go for a walk. Go, go be in the neighborhood. Be there. Have a presence. And then here's the other thing. When you see a need, any need, big or small, we can think like, oh, I'll help if like, someone's in like, dire need. Well, what about the small things? Like The small things can make a huge difference. Like If you see someone like, rolling up a trash can and there's, there's the recycling, just help them, give them a, help, a hand. Hey, can I help you reel this one in? Now, here's, here's the reality. We have to just be aware of this. Like, you might get shut down. If you're trying to meet a need for someone, you might get shut down. And that's okay, because I think, like, even for myself, if someone was trying to help me with something, I probably would say, oh, I don't need help. I don't need help. I, it's okay. I got it. And, you know, be respectful. It's okay. And try again another time. 
But, but it starts with those simple needs to be met, to observe and to assist to be a part of it. Um, we'll, we'll worship one, one more time and, and just kind of let this settle in. But, but I've realized, like, as a person, admittedly, like, I can, I'm, I can be skeptical at best. Like, I can just be a skeptical person. And what I mean by that is sometimes I wonder, like, is it, like, is it really going to make a difference like, is, is me acting this way, is that really going to make a difference? Is the world really going to change? Will we, ever, will we ever stumble into a time where there isn't prejudice, where everyone really cares for each other, that we don't have the issues that we see? Like, I don't, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that we can see that. And with my skepticism, I jump into passages like this, and I feel like Jesus is almost saying to me, like, the four-minute barrier can be broken. And once you start to believe that, then you'll start to see it. You'll unlock this potential within you, and we can create a new reality. And as that story starts to spread, that's when you're going to see God's kingdom come here now to earth as it is in heaven. As we worship, um, my challenge to you is reflect on what are, what are the needs around you. Who are the people around you? Maybe you're still on that first step of learning their names. That's okay. Take your time. Do, do, it, do it at your pace, but, but work through that. Um, and, and there's also the, the crossover here. If, if there's something on your heart today, something you need prayer for, um, we encourage you to just write that down, pin it to the cross as a symbol that, that God takes our burdens, and we can, we can have a peace in that. Um, and in the back of the room, you also see candles, um, and we, we light those candles just as a, as a reminder of God's presence. Maybe you need that reminder today. That God, is, be present in my life. But I invite you guys to stand up. and We're just going to worship and, and kind of reflect on this idea of what it means to be a neighbor, what it means to be, as the story suggests, a good Samaritan. God, I thank you for your word and, and the, um, the way that it can inspire us, the way that a story shapes us. God, maybe we have prejudice. Maybe, maybe we just need to get real about that. Maybe you challenge our prejudice by, by helping us to see the world in a new way. Or God, maybe, maybe we just need to, to take a step of, of action. Maybe we just need to, to be observant of the, na- of, of the needs around us. God, I pray that, that we can be a church that doesn't just doesn't just have right beliefs, but, but has right practice that we, we use our faith to drive us forward into action. We are a community following your son, Jesus. Help us know what those steps look like this morning. In your name.